Hello everyone and welcome to episode 124th of Career Podcast. Our today's guest is Mr. Kellen Chuck. He's a senior concept artist at DreamWorks from Bay Area, California, United States. Now, with that quick introduction out of the way, let's a little into introduction on how we got into visual arts and design. <laughs> um, shoot. Well, I mean, I never really thought I would be an artist, to be honest. Like, I kind of just got into it. Like, I wanted to be a soccer player or a football player for a long time. Um, it wasn't until my senior year in high school where someone came to my high school and said, hey, you could do art for a living. So I, I drew as a kid. And I was like decent at it. Like I could draw Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z for money, you know, for like um, that was all I could. I could just look at something and I could copy it decently. Um, <clears throat> wasn't until my senior year of high school, um, someone came to my school, said, hey, you can go to school to be an artist. So I uh, I stopped doing football and then I went to an art school, graduated, um, ended up getting a job at a local video game studio and then you know, the rest is kind of history. Then just kind of for the past 11 years, just been kind of grinding my way um, up the ladder of command in terms of just working with more, with better people and better studios and that kind of stuff. And now currently the where I've landed is I'm currently, um, you know, working at DreamWorks as a, as a visual artist um, on some other future projects. So um, life is good. I can't complain. Um, I'm pretty blessed and I'm just trying to kind of pay that back when I can and just trying to live my life and just survive the pandemic as anyone else is and just trying to, uh, you know, just do my thing. All right. Awesome. That's a pretty positive outlook to have. Now, <laughs> I think anyone who's listening to this podcast can learn a thing or two. Um, all right, so the next question is, were you originally studying art and design or you were pursuing another career path? I mean, of course, you already mentioned that first, you know, you were trying to be a professional soccer player, but um, when you were like, you know, deciding on choosing like an art path, like, you know, as a career, were there any doubts or other decisions in your head at the time? Oh, yeah. I mean, there were definitely times uh, I thought I should quit. Like, I wasn't sure if, this, if I was cut out for it. And that was mostly just because of kind of listening to people that, that were kind of negative, listening to kind of, and unfortunately this is kind of the bad part about, about sometimes when you go to schools, you can have people that just doubt you. They're just like, Hey, I don't, and they're not trying to be mean or anything, but they're just like, Hey, I don't think you're cut out for this. Or I don't think, you know, you can do this. This is, a, this is going to be a hard path to, to, to go down this route. So I don't know, maybe we should, do, maybe we should just do something else that's easier. And so, um, you know, I had to be kind of stubborn a little bit. And I think when it comes down to artists, like only you, know what you're capable of you know you can listen to every you can listen to other people all you want but only you can really know what's inside of you so i had to kind of bet on myself a lot um especially in my later year my my final years of art school to kind of be like hey i know that i may not be where i want to be in my terms of my level yet and my skill level but i know i can do it i just need time and so um luckily i i kind of bet on myself and didn't listen to other people and i i, I am I'm here where I am now. Um, but yeah, I, I think what school did teach me, it taught me what I didn't want to do. Um, you know, I took classes on programming. I took classes on, you know, animating and 3D and texturing and rigging and all the other and level design. And it helped me kind of understand what the what the pipeline is, but then also understand I don't want to do that. So when I took my first background design and layout class, um, something just clicked in my head. And then, you know, I asked my teacher, hey, can you get paid to do this? And they're like, yeah, you can. And I was like, all right, well, then that's what I want to do. And then once when I figured that out, then it was like, okay, I'm just going to keep doing that. So, you know, fast forward 10 years of just drawing that all day long, you know, you're eventually going to probably get competent at it and, you know, figure some things out. 
All right, awesome. And um, all right, in the in the introduction, I mentioned that your senior concept art is at uh, DreamWorks. But my question right now is, what is your main branch of design that you're focusing on right now? And tell us about your experience from the start of it until now. By branch of design, I mean like you know, uh, your position as an artist. Um, so I'm a little new actually, um, to the DreamWorks family in terms of, I've been freelancing with them for a good, for a good while. Um, but this is kind of my first time being like a full-time employee with them. Um, so yeah, so like you said, I am a senior viz dev artist, but I think, I don't think they really even have seniors. I think at that point, you're just a biz dev. I don't think it even matters. Um, but uh, I mean, the way it normally works for me is I have, I have directors and, um, production designers and art directors and for the most part my day-to-day is kind of they come to me and they're like hey this is the part of the script in the movie that you know we don't we need help kind of figuring out what it looks like we we need you to figure this out and so then my job is to then take what their descriptions are usually they're nice and they'll give you sketches and that's really really nice because you know working with some of these ogs that i've worked on like um iron giant like sinbad prince of egypt kung fu panda like some of these older guys are just like are just monsters um in the animation scene so they're just really good so they'll they'll give you these sketches and they'll draw over your work and they'll provide you with really good reference and they say okay go go figure that out and you know then i'll do my work and then they'll come back and say okay this not so much this like i like this this i drew over it and so it's um that's kind of like my my kind of just loop that kind of goes on and then eventually you have like a meeting with the with the main director and they kind of go yes no and then you just kind of just keep going until until they kind of like whatever you're doing um so i just try to be a sponge in terms of just trying to really learn from some of the people above me that have been doing it a lot longer in terms of just like they're just how they how they how they handle meetings, how they deal with directors, people that are above them, how they deal with executives, um, just a lot of those all intangible things that are kind of non art related, I think is is really invaluable that I'm very lucky to experience. Just um, some of those smaller things about how I should be thinking about about art um, in terms of just the approach and how I want to design it and, and show it to other people. It's been really 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 fun. I've been learning a lot. All right, awesome. And uh, how does your design process usually go anytime you want to start working on a new project, like whether it be a commission or the personal <clears throat> project? Like, what does the structure of the, your pipeline looks like? Um, I mean, that really depends on. I think it really depends on the person and the client, and then also like what the subject matter is. So I think that's kind of an important thing about being a visual artist or a concept artist or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think you have to be adaptable. So sometimes it's like, I'll just do pencil sketches or pen sketches. Sometimes I'll just go straight into Photoshop and just paint something out just full color. Sometimes I'll just do line art. Sometimes I'll just do 3d, you know, it really depends on what the, what the problem is and what the best solution, what the best tool is to make the solution. So right now, currently I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in blender a lot, just doing these small little like rough 3d mockups and just painting over it because that like solves the problem the best in terms of the director. Cause like the directors, some of them like aren't artists. 
sometimes. I mean, mine, mine, mine in particular is, um, but he doesn't care like in terms of, Oh, did you do, did you paint it with charcoal? Did you do it traditionally? It's like, did you just solve the problem? So as long as I can kind of visually get it, like visually like tell him like, okay, this is what I'm thinking and he can understand it. then that's fine. And so, you know, concept artists at the end of the day, it's just visual communication, right? We are trying to visually communicate what's in our head to them. And hopefully what we're both thinking of kind of lines up. So, um, you know, my job sometimes, though, I could go and do like this kind of like nice, super, you know, amazing painting, all this texture and stuff like that. It's like I could easily just do this in 3D and just kind of paint over it. It gets the same idea across and I'm not wasting time. Right. I can I can then give that to our modeler. We can then figure that out for scale. You know what I mean? So right now I've been in Blender. But, you know, when I'm on other projects, sometimes I'm just painting straight up. So, again, it, it's kind of just what what does what does the person above me how do they prefer to receive things is kind of an important thing um so just knowing knowing your boss is important and then just knowing uh what's the what's the best way to communicate an idea and sometimes that could be line art sometimes that could be painting so I, I don't think of it too much of like i have a set process it's i try to know all the tools so that way i can pick and choose in that very moment to be adaptable all right, awesome, man. Actually, I had a question. What's been the biggest challenge for you working with Blender? Like in terms of like, you know, dealing with the software and the learning curve of it? Um, you know, I think Blender, I think, is kind of a game changer. I mean, there's definitely this kind of like Blender cult. So I, I hate kind of saying that because everyone's like, get on Blender. And like, they're all kind of cultish in a way. And they know who they are. Um, but I, I don't want to like kind of like try to put it on people. But I would say as a person that went to art school, in 2005 using like old school Maya and Max and like I hated 3D in art school because it was just so like unintuitive I was just like I don't want to learn this and they're like you're going to need this Kalen and I'm like yeah probably but like I'll learn it when it's like easier to learn I was just like this isn't like I was around when ZBrush came out right and my friends that 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 took it obviously are amazing character artists now but they're like Kalen check out the ZBrush and I looked at it and I'm like what the hell is this this is like this makes no sense um so I didn't want to touch it right so uh Blender is is finally like that first program where like I I look at it and like everything like makes sense to me where I'm like yeah that's kind of how I think it should work where like Maya in order to get like the simplest of things you had to go through all this like steps of processes or whatever um blender you don't have to do that it's free so it's open source so you can kind of customize what you want there's all these cool plugins and stuff like that so i think because it's for the, it's made by the people i think it, it just it really forces like the ingenuity to make it like really really efficient and it's super small too like i i mean after using maya for a long time i went to blender i was like dude this program's so small like i just run it off like my dropbox um so i don't even like have it saved locally like i just i can go to like my computer at work i can go to my computer at home i can go to my computer like my laptop and i can just run blender and it's gonna like run the same so um <clears throat> i took a blender class uh luckily because i wasn't i didn't know how to use it that well <clears throat> So I ended up taking Vaughn Ling's uh, Blender class and I didn't understand most of it at the time, but it definitely just gave me a space to kind of just mess up constantly and just kind of fuck up and then all that stuff. And then eventually um, after his class, I was able to kind of feel, I feel confident to kind of like explore my own and figure things out like on, you know, forms and whatnot. But I will say I also am very, very privileged because I have some friends that are really good at Blender that I call them the blender genie because I just like, I just rub them and they just, 
they're like, what, what question do you have? And I'm like, can, how do I do this? And they're like, oh, you do it that way. So, um, a good, a good example of that would be, um, <clears throat> Ricardo Gumaris, uh, Gumaris. Um, if you ever look him up, he has a class actually on CGMA actually starting, um, in a couple of weeks and it's called, uh, concept art, uh, blender to concept art. So the class is all about like how to do, how to use blender and concept art. And that guy's like really good. Like whenever I have a blender question, like I go to that guy and like, he's just like, you could do it just like this. And I'm like, and I'm like, all right, cool. And then my other friend is uh, Kevin Gnutzman and he's an artist at Riot and the same thing that I could message him on discord. Cause I'll, I'll try it. And then I'll be like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'll just message him and they'll be like, all right, here you go. So having a blender friend is super, super, super nice. Um, but there are some forums and stuff like that. But in terms of like, in terms of like artists like complaining about it now, like y'all have no idea, like the 3D programs we had to use back in the day, which sounds like a very old thing to say, but trust me when I say like it, you couldn't do half the things you could do now and it wasn't nearly as easy. So like it was a very like expensive thing. Like if you didn't have a, if you didn't have a good computer, if you weren't rich with the good computer, there's no way you're going to do like 3D. So yeah, I mean, that's uh, one of the main things I keep hearing from everyone and not just about like the expensiveness of it, because that could be easily solved. Um, don't hear it from me, but there's a certain pirate website, you know, that you can download stuff off. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. that's nice, too. But even then, like even when but then the problem is every time it updates, you got to re, you know, you got to yeah, redo yeah. the pirating, all that kind of stuff. And then God forbid you start getting freelance. And I've had some people that have, you know, gotten come, the people have come down on them, you know, for using pirated software. Because oh. it's all fun in games until you start actually working in the industry. And then, you know, they they might come after you. So um, there's that. So so then like having to do all that nonsense and then and then sometimes with pirated software, it doesn't work all the way because you don't have certain things that you would need if you had the free version. So like, there's like, oh, you need this plugin. I'm like, oh, how do I download it? It's like, well, what's your license number? And I'm like, shit, I don't have one. So now I have to like, you know, so it's just like, it's always a pain. Whereas with Blender, it's just like, it's free. You don't have to pirate anything, whatever. It's like, you want to update, you just update it. Like there's no like, well, how do I repirate it? It's like having to constantly steal something over and over. It kind of gets exhausting versus like, hey, it's free. Just have it and then just don't take whatever you want. So, um, yeah, it's much more easier because I used to be in that boat of having like bootleg Photoshop and then you have to constantly like, you know, keep up with it. It's kind of it can kind of be mentally taxing. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, even for Blender, I think everyone I'm hearing from everyone in the community that even before the version 2.8, it was way harder to use with. It wasn't very user friendly or intuitive. And it's been kind of like recently, <laughs> the past couple of years that has been this issue has been really. Important. Oh, yeah. Before I had friends, I had students that were like, Kaelin, get on Blender and they're showing me like 2.6. And I'm like, this is trash. Um, but it wasn't until 2.8 where I was like, OK, I'll learn it now because now it's tight. But before before 2.8, it did not look good um 2.9 now is like i use 2.9 like it's legit but yeah before that 2.8 is what is what is what got people to be like oh snap this is like i don't have to use mine anymore i can literally use this and it's just as good yeah definitely and actually what you said about like you know people coming down on freelancers when it comes to like you know um using pirated software that's the first time i actually hear that i mean it makes sense for like countries like us or european countries or stuff like that but I don't think that's really the case for freelancers like outside, like uh, from my home country, Iran, there's a lot of like a lot of free artists, freelancers that they work with top companies. And 
I assume you, like 95% of them use pirated software, not because they're bad people or just want to pirate and just steal money from companies. It's because of the sanctions. There's no actual way to buy anything, you know, legally. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, depending on what country you're on, depending on what country you, you live, like, yeah, that that can definitely not be like a worrisome thing. But in America, it's like you, you don't want to be in that situation where they like know where you are and like you have a tax ID, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. You don't want to be in a situation where you're creating stuff um, for money on pirated software. So for you guys, if, if, there, if that is the issue, then yeah, then I wouldn't worry about it. But um, yeah, for me, I always pay for convenience. So if I, if I have to pay for something and it's going to work and then now I have like a support team and people that are liable, if it doesn't work, then it's fine. Versus when something is like pirated and then they're like, it doesn't work i'm like well who are you gonna call you can't call them and be like hey man i stole your software and it's not working like what the hell they're gonna be like uh what you know what i mean so sometimes for me at least i like paying for stuff because then there's like a little bit of liability to it and now i have like a support system that if things don't work then you know so there's someone to answer to i could be like hey i paid money for this so you have to do this versus if you steal it you're like eh. so oh yeah definitely and all right, let's jump into the next subject, which is actually kind of an interesting question because it I always get like pretty interesting answers out of it. Um, what was the first art job paycheck you ever got and what was it for and how did you feel at the time when you got it? <clears throat> so the question is, what is my first art job I ever had, like paid art job? First paycheck uh, you ever got from art, like it could be a freelance gig, it could be anything. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, shoot. The first one I did was working on some like Facebook game. And then I got fired like right away. <laughs> it's like my very first one. Cause like, I didn't know like what being a concept artist was, you know? So like, they are like, Oh, your work's good. We're going to hire you for this, this, this anime, like Facebook, like little like farm bill game. And so I was like, all right, cool. Like I can do this. And then I did it. And then I was struggling and then they're like, yeah, like it's not working out. And I was like, damn, I suck. Um, so then I realized I'm like, oh, I have to really like design things. I can't just paint pretty pictures. And then, um, yeah, that was kind of a hard pill to swallow. And then um, I started working at a company called Crazy Pixel. And we were working on these like little like Diner Dash games. One was called uh, Passport to Perfume. <laughs> you could probably Google it. It's, it's freaking terrible. Um, but the, yeah, I got my first check from that. And it was cool. I was getting paid like... 13 bucks an hour. I thought I was living the dream, um, which in, in America, that's kind of like pretty low. Like it's like, you could probably like work at like Costco or Chipotle and, and probably make more money. Um, but at that point I was getting paid to do something that, that I trained for. So I was really happy about it. Um, so yeah. So I think when I got my first like paycheck, like I got really scared when I first got the job because I was like, until I see that paycheck, it's not real, you know, cause you can do work and then they could be like, Oh, I don't like it. You know, I was always afraid someone's going to like screw me over. But then once I got there, like in two weeks went by and then I got my first paycheck, I was like, Whoa, like this is crazy. Like it hasn't has the company name, has my name on it. And then they're like, okay, well, now we have direct deposit where like it just comes into your account every two weeks. Then I was like, whoa, direct deposit. Like I don't have to even, I don't even go to the bank anymore. Like it's just there. I just have to just show up and do my work. So, you know, that was a really, really fun time. And then, you know, then you get fired or you not fired, but then you get laid off and all the other stuff. And then you go through unemployment and you go through all those problems. But, um, yeah, luckily I'm at a point now where I haven't had to deal with that in a very long time. Um, and that's mostly just, you know, just trying to like 
just work hard, just work hard and improve my skill and, and go from there. But yeah, but the first check always hits different because I was working at Disneyland um, face painting for a long time. Um, just having parents just like just berate you and stuff and just having all this glitter and paint all over my face while like Mickey Mouse is in the back just to like run around being stupid and like, oh, bitch. It's just like, you know, it's just like the happiest place on earth, right? But it's not like when you're in the back. So, you know, it's just dealing with like entitled kids and crying children and just all this stuff. So like, you know, then going in the back and you're just sitting there just chilling and you see someone with like their helmet off, like the goofy and he's just smoking and you're like, this is depressing. I need to get out of here. Uh, to, to, where I, to where I was then, uh, it was a big jump. So I was like super happy. It was a terrible place to work, but I was super happy. And it, it actually taught me to really appreciate nice things because then when I got to a company um, that I was working at before, like Glue, where they like, they feed you every day. They give you like free food every day. They give like, they'll have like parties and all this kind of stuff. And they take care of you, a good medical and whatever. So you get to like nice companies where like I get my own desk. Like it's a, like a whole, I'm not crammed, you know, and stuff like that. I can bring my dog to work. I can work from home. Um, places like that, when you get there, like you can you just really appreciate it. Cause you're like, wow, like I know what it was like to work at a small company where like the boss is like kind of like this evil villain um, versus people that are like, you know, they respect you. It's definitely a nice thing. And DreamWorks has been um, pretty much the same thus far as well. They're just, they're very nice people and it's very, very nice to work there. Yeah. Actually something about like uh, the whole uh, work, work culture environment. I think it's uh the companies that are like uh, their environment and cultures like DreamWorks, as you mentioned, are usually going to stand the test of time. But, you know, a lot of companies like even as we're seeing right now, like uh, Blizzard right now, um, because of a lot of issues, it's kind of getting it's kind of falling down in terms of like, you know, sales and not just sales for, in everything. And I think like it's really important to for the boss, not just the bosses, the higher ups, even in a company to make the place feel like a, kind of like a family reunion or something. So everyone can kind of work better, you know, communicate better and all that stuff. Sounds simple, but it's unfortunately not everywhere. But uh, like, unfortunately, it's a kind of the trend is going towards that because people will slowly start to realize that, oh, actually, people work better under these conditions if you kind of don't act act like, like, you know, such a like evil overlords, as you said, you know? Yeah, it's it's kind of nice that I think the the pandemic really kind of showed what people are capable of in terms of like working from home and not having someone be all over them all the time. And I think people were really kind of like afraid that, oh, you know, we're going to we're going to lose productivity if we let them work from home or do all this stuff. But then we did and then everyone was fine. And so it showed like, oh, if you let people kind of like, you know, don't constantly berate them and constantly like you know just like if you ha- let them have a day off every once in a while and keep the mental health where like the work family balance is like good like oh all of a sudden you know they're happy and so that's like a really good thing you know so then it turns out that people that are happy will tend to do better work because they're satisfied so it's like oh if you treat them really really nicely then they don't necessarily mind staying a little bit later they don't mind like some of the things that can happen with it um glue was a good example of that like they had a really good work family balance where they were like hey man if if it's too much traffic if it's like if it's two hours to get here because of traffic then just stay home and work you know 
they didn't care. They were like, hey, if you need to leave early, like, fine, just get your work done, you know? And so it was, it set up this kind of culture level of trust that was like, as long as I'm getting my work done, I can go play two hours of, of football, you know? If I, you know, if I, if I get my stuff done, I can bring my dog to work. I can dip out early. Like, you know what I mean? Like if I need to, if I need to go to a doctor's appointment, just go to a doctor's appointment and then just come back. Um, so there's a level of like trust there that I really, really liked with them. And I think that everyone there was really happy and you could tell because it was like free food and they treated you right. Um, our bosses worked, um, we call it the pit. They worked in the pit with us. Like they didn't have their own office. So like, they they were literally in there with us, like in the main office with us. So it always felt nice knowing that like the VP of the company is like literally right there. You can just go talk to him. So there wasn't like this, like, oh, I have my own office. I'm better than you or I'm, you know what I mean? It's like he's in the middle and you can see him. You can like, you know what I mean? Like you can easily go talk to him. He's very approachable. So I liked when I liked when when bosses do that. And so, so there's a level of like we're all in this together and we're all kind of like, I hate to use that word family or whatever, but like we're all on the same team. And so I think things like that can be positive when you're, when you're working in a, in a studio where it can be kind of hectic sometimes. All right. That sounds really awesome. And all right, let's jump into the next question, which is considered to be one of the, like the hardest questions of the podcast. Don't worry. It's nothing personal or anything, um, but, <laughs> but you'll get the point when I say it. Who are your favorite artists and designers that have inspired you the most? <clears throat> favorite artists and designers. Um, I'll, I'll probably just go by the ones that have inspired me, like in just in my life, in terms of where I was in my life. Um, so I would say someone like Edgar Cardona. Edgar Cardona. Um, you can look him up. Uh, I think his. I think his Instagram is like gay vegan guy because <laughs> he's, he's gay. Uh, it's like gay vegan apex guy. I think it's what it's called. I forget what his name is, but he's a really good artist. And um, when I didn't know what I wanted to do in art, I, I, um, I saw him drawing one day on a Wacom tablet. I didn't know what a Wacom tablet was, you know, and I just saw him drawing this like amazing like tree. And I was like, did you just do that? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, what the? And I was like, dude, that's so amazing. And I was like, can you show me how to do that? And he was like, uh, sure. So then he was just, I was just following him around. Cause I was like, yo, show me how to paint. Like show me how to do something, you know? And so we became like pretty good friends. And I didn't even know he was gay at the time. And it was just kind of funny because then when he like came out to me, you know, I, he thought I was going to like not want to talk to him. And he was like, Hey man, I'm gay. And I was like, all right. And he's like, oh, he's like, you don't care. And I was like, well, you can still show me how to paint. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, all right, then we're good. Like, don't even worry about it. And ironically, I never really had any gay friends before, but it also taught me a lot about just what he was going through and some of his struggles and just being more tolerant of other people, of being tolerant of the LGBTQ. QT. I forget the letters, but <laughs> yeah, sorry, there's a lot of letters there and I always mess them up, but um, it is time to be more tolerant. And, you know, I just found a lot of common ground with him and he was really influential in my life in terms of showing me like just, just the raw passion of painting. I, he had that and he was so naturally good. Um, he's a guy that like, he's so good, but I feel like he doesn't even try. Like, I feel like he was always like, there's artists like that where like, I got to try my hardest to like, to do good art. I feel like he just wakes up and he's just like, eh, look what I drew. And then I'm like, what? And it's like, he's like, Oh yeah, I guess like it, it's, it, it almost, it looks very effortless when I watch him paint. It's really weird. Um, 
And he could do a lot of amazing things, but he just wants to chill and whatever. He could easily be an art director at like some of the biggest companies, but because he likes to just chill and he just doesn't want to be stressed out, I'm like, all right, cool. He's living his life and he's happy. Um, second person would be Anthony Jones, also known as Robot Pencil. Um, he was the second guy that I met in art school. So it was him and uh, uh, Edgar and AJ were like my two good friends that I was constantly hanging out with. And AJ is a really hard worker because I knew him when he couldn't draw for anything. He couldn't draw at all. Like he was, he didn't have any art experience, like literally any. Um, but then he, you see how he is now. If you know who he is, you look up his work. He's amazing. And he's in a big inspiration to me because of just his work ethic. He just worked really, 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 really hard. And now he is where he is now working for some of the biggest companies. So um, also a really good friend. He was in my wedding. He's one of my, my groomsmen. Um, someone that I just really look up to in terms of his work ethic and who he is as a person. He has always been there for me. So I really look up to him. <clears throat> Um, second person I would say would be a 3D artist. That would be Daniel McGowan. Um, he works over at Blizzard now on the Overwatch team, if I'm not mistaken. Um, really good 3D artist, and I just loved his work ethic. Um, when he was in art school, he already had a kid um, that was special needs, and he'd already he, he wasn't. I think I think he was married. I wasn't sure if he was married yet. He got he got, he got his girlfriend pregnant really early, so he had a kid that was special needs. Had a daughter on the way. Um, and he was he was selling cars, like part time selling cars while going to art school full time while taking care of his kids and being a husband. It was crazy. Like I was like, I don't know how this guy does it. And he would sleep in his car sometimes because like he lived kind of far away from school. So if he had class at night, um, then he would sleep in his car. So he would go to class in the morning because it was too far to drive back home. So there were times where he would just sleep in my sleep on my floor at my house because I lived pretty close to the school. And then he would just go like he was a machine. And I would be like, dude, and I would tell him, I'd be like, dude, what if you don't make it? Like, what happens to, like, if you don't get a job? And in his mind, it was like, there's no option. Like, I can't not get a job. I have to get a job. And so just seeing how committed he was to his family um, and just like how motivated he was to like make sure that he didn't mess up because he had so many people relying on him. Something that like I've always taken a lot of inspiration from. And like, I still look up to him as like a family man. Like I see how he is with his wife and his kids. And I'm like, that's the kind of guy, like if I ever had kids, like I'd want to be that kind of guy for my family that like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that they have a roof over their head and they're fed at night. And so it, it, it makes, it's, it's no coincidence that he is where he is now at a company and he does amazing work and a super, super, super nice dude. So, um, uh, I don't think but nice things to say about Daniel McGowan is one of my favorite guys. Um, so I did Edgar, AJ, um, <clears throat> Edgar, AJ, and uh, Daniel. Third person might I think the two other people would be my 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 previous art directors. That would be Josh Singh and Magnus um, Holmo. And um, Josh Singh was my art director over at Wave Dash when we were working on a fighting game. And I love Josh because he just took a lot of a lot of confidence in me to kind of just let me do what I wanted to do. Um, and then Magnus was one of my favorite art directors because he was just he kind of taught me the business side about things, about when I wanted to implement like features in a game or I wanted to do something. He always had this very practical approach about things. And so and he is the person that also played soccer, played football as well. So we played a lot of soccer together. So we grew, we grew kind of close through that. Um, but he was also like a really good artist because he understood like the business aspects, the business part of things about how things, how art translates in terms of like how much things going to cost, you know, that kind of stuff in terms of implementing things. Um, really, really smart guy um, that I still talk to to this day. And then the last, the last, my favorite artist probably currently right now. 
um, is probably Chris Copeland and Justin Copeland. They're the Copeland brothers. They're the ones that are the current directors of a new DreamWorks movie that's that, we're, that I'm currently working on. And they were the ones that kind of reached out to me and said, hey, I want you to be part of this team. And they do amazing work. If you've never seen some of their storyboards, they're, they're, so, they're so good. Um, and so just having them kind of just be behind me and support me, um, you know, really, really cool. Uh, just to be a part of that and just to see how just how down to earth they are. And so you'll, you'll find out that a lot of these, a lot of these really good artists are just really cool people in general. It's kind of a, it's no surprise that they're really good and they're really nice. So those are probably the biggest artists right now that have currently kind of like influenced my life in a very positive direction that I still probably am very indebted to um, for a while. So. All right. And, um, any advice and tips for a good portfolio and resume for an upcoming artist? Like, since you have a lot of, like, you know, interesting experience, I don't ask this question to any guest, but, you know, since you already have a lot of experience in the industry, I think this would be a good time. Um, in terms of, like, what people look for in a portfolio, I think you kind of have to ask the question to yourself of, like, where do you want to be, you know? And I think when you can figure out where you want to be and what you want to do, that question of what you should put in your portfolio should kind of answer itself. I always kind of give the analogy of like a chef, right? Like if I want to be a chef that works in like a kebab place, right? Making like the best kebab in the world. What would I want to like show them to, to get hired to work in that kebab place? Would I want to show them like burgers and sushi? Like, Probably not. I don't. I wouldn't show them Mexican food. I would show them like just different versions of like badass kebab that I can make. That would be like, dude, I'm the best kebab person you can possibly think of. And they go, okay, we're gonna hire you for that. Um, I think a portfolio needs to be tailored to what you want to do. You know what I mean? So like, I didn't put characters in my work. I didn't put anything else in my work. I just put environments. That's exactly what I wanted to do. And I want to do these kind of environments. So then I found companies that did that and I tried to go after that, you know? And then when I couldn't find stuff like that, I still kept doing what I wanted to do anyway. And then someone said, hey, whatever you do is what we want to do. So can you do that for us, you know? So I think knowing where you want to go kind of answers that question. So like if you want to be a blizzard, right, you got to draw a lot of orcs and spikes and like, you know, big stylized things. You're not going to have photo bash last of us, like, you know, environments, right? Because it doesn't translate over. So I think a lot of it is like, <clears throat> what do you want to do? Do you want to be a matte painter? Do you want to work in movies? Do you want to work in animation? Your portfolio should just kind of display that. And then to get more, to get more like detailed and concrete about it, I would say in order to even be better with your portfolio is to understand the pipeline. So if you can understand the pipeline about how things are work, then you can you can design your work in your portfolio to be like, Hey, my work will help your pipeline get better. You know, my, my work will show my work can fit in this pipeline very, very easily. So if that involves doing like 3d models or like doing color keys and that kind of stuff, I think it's important as an artist, you should know how does your art affect the team? You know what I mean? So how does your art affect animation? How does your art affect modeling? How does your art affect um, level design? So if you can display your art in a way that can affect those things positively, I think that's a good thing. Like if you can say, like you should be able to go, oh, if I'm doing this for like my level designer, I need to be able to design my art in a way that explains how the player will go through the level and where they can cover and where they and what things are interactable, what things aren't interactable. If I have to work with the modeler, I should be able to draw things in different angles 
so they can model it and, and texture it. If I'm doing things for animation animators, then I need to be able to draw a little, um, you know, frame by frame how someone's going to jump or how this effect is going to work. You know, if I'm going to work with the storyboard artist, I need to, you know, draw a little panels to kind of figure out the perspective and the camera working you know if i'm working if i'm doing stuff for the director and i need to be a full-on illustration then i got to do all those other things so i think just knowing how your work fits in the pipeline and knowing how you can because our job at the end of the day is to make everyone's life easier and if you're just painting pretty pictures like that's cool but like i said earlier i'm in blender not because i'm trying to like look cool but because it's going to solve the problem that we have right now it's gonna make everyone's life easier so i think as a as a in terms of your work you should be thinking about what problem does it solve um does it solve a problem in terms of like the blue sky phase does it solve a problem for your modeler does it solve a problem for your your animator and i think if you can figure out how to make your portfolio that shows that you can solve any problem that to me is like a good portfolio because I know I can hire this person. I know that if my modeler has an issue, that person can then concept stuff that will help the modeler. Because like nothing sucks when you have a concept artist that does something and the model is like, how do I put my model that? Like, what the hell is that? Right. And they're like, well, I don't know. It looks pretty though. And I'm like, that's great, but we can't model that. So you got to think about the pipeline. So understanding the pipeline, understanding how your work helps people, understanding where you want to be. Those are kind of like the three questions that you need to ask yourself that will make your work a lot a lot stronger and also working with constraints i think a lot of artists tended to draw whatever the hell they want that never it's never how it works you always have constraints whether it's budget you know animation like you know polygons there's always some kind of constraint working with constraints is good because it forces you to have to be clever about how you solve a problem those were some really really important tips I might actually clip this part, you know, for a, even a special video, especially when you mentioned the whole like analogy of like, you know, when you want to get hired in a, a kebab restaurant, you don't go make like, for example, like tacos for them. You just make them like, all the variations of badass kebabs you can do. And yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I'll definitely clip this. No, it's really good. <laughs> I mean, you can make tacos. Maybe they're like, dude, we should do a taco kebab fusion and maybe that's something cool, but. I mean, in yeah. general, you your food should be like a like I call it like a menu. Your food should be like a food menu, you know, and whatever it's like you have your appetizers, your sketches, you know, like your entree, which is like your colored things. And then you have like, you know, your desserts, some, some little things you can actually can do extra. Your the person should look at that and be like, that's what I'm hungry for. You know, if someone's hungry for tacos and then you hand them a kebab menu, they're like, what the what is this isn't what I wanted, you know? So you kind of want your your portfolio to be kind of a menu that what they're hungry for, that's what you're going to give them. And they're going to be like, oh, they have everything that I want here. That's This is what I want to get. So it isn't it isn't as confusing as people think it is. And people kind of overthink a portfolio. It's like, just, just do what they want. <laughs> like, just ask them. And if you don't know, that's when going to events will help you. You go to events, you talk to recruiters, talk to art directors, like ask them, like, what do you want? And a lot of them just, just look at the artists that currently work there and look at what they're doing. And they're like, all right, I'll just do that. Yeah, definitely. That's actually also another good tip. Like, you know, it's not necessarily doesn't work with art fields, like even in just most of the fields, like even let's say programming or, you know, wanting to get a job at like, I don't know, like just as like an example, like Facebook and you go to an event, like maybe there's a tech meetup or something and you start talking to people. And sometimes, you know, people will say, hey, 
when you talk to them, you realize, you know, what they need, or sometimes a startup, you can ask if the context is right, of course, like you don't go randomly ask people, hey, what do you need? Like, no, I mean, the context should be there as well. I mean, of course, and you can actually get a lot of insight, like, you know, how you can fit in the mold of the place you want to work. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times when you go to these art events, like the best part about it, because sometimes if you're not if you're not in the United States, you're not near with someone, right? Cold emailing someone or messing on Instagram, being like, "Hey, what do you, what do you think?" You know, or like, "What should I do?" Right? That can be kind of annoying. It happens to me all the time. People messing all the time. And they're like, "Hey, like, what do you think?" And I'm like, "Dude, I don't want to. If I answer you, I got to answer everybody, and I want to like have a life." Um, but when you go to these events that are art events. People go there for that reason, to answer those questions. Recruiters go there and directors go there because they want to interact with you and they want to see what you have to show them. And they're and they're literally paid to go there to answer your questions. So it's like that's why going to those events can be useful because then it's like they're literally paid to be there to to like for you to like to get your questions out. So it's like you go to events like CTN or Lightbox or Trojan Horse Unicorn, whatever's in Europe right now. Um you go to those events because you're going to meet the big artists and you're going to ask them questions and hopefully they'll give you the good answers and it's good networking. You'll meet other good people. Um, it's just a good time usually to go at least do it every once in a while, you know, but then obviously you take, you go back and you just work on your stuff and get, get and get good. So then those contacts can eventually help you over time. All right. And, um, we've reached the final section and question of the podcast, which is a uh, call final words. And all right, I'm going to explain what it means. Um, so imagine you have a limited amount of time and in that limited amount of time, you can leave people who are listening to this podcast with a message or any messages from a human to other human beings, like, you know, that might be listening to this episode. And uh, it could be about anything right away, like, you know, it could be life advice or anything. But in this limited amount of time, what would you say to the listeners? Um, hmm. There's definitely a lot of things. Uh, I'm trying to think of what I can possibly give as advice. Let me see here. Let me think. Let me think. Um, all right. So my brother recently retired um, from the Air Force. And so my brother is an is a F-16 pilot. And so he's done a lot of tours in Iraq and a lot of stuff like that. And he's really well decorated. And when he retired, he told me something um, he's older than me, right? He's a very wise guy, very smart person. Um, he said, you can either spend time or you can invest time. And something that really, really stuck with me that he's like, you can spend your days online yelling at people, arguing with stuff and whatnot, or you can invest time. You can learn to learn a new skill. You can invest time to make yourself better. He's like, there's always something that you can, that you can do. And so I try, I choose to kind of invest time or try to think about that. So, you don't really see me on Facebook that much. I don't really post that. I mean, I post like stories on Instagram, but like, I'm not really like, you don't really see me in very many arguments on like art Twitter and stuff like that. Uh, Cause to me, it's a waste of my time. So I choose to invest time. And so I always try to make sure that what I'm doing in my life is someone that's benefiting me or my family in the long run. And that's kind of how um, uh, I try to live my life. And so I encourage you people to anyone listening to just invest your time and think about whatever time you have, whether it be an hour or days, you know, how can you properly invest that to just better your life? So I think that's a good thing to do. Um, the next thing I would think about my brother taught me was accountability. And so I always say, uh, 
uh, take accountability for every art brushstroke that you do. Um, and so what, and, and things that may seem inconsequential, uh, like decisions that you make that can be very inconsequential when you're first designing can have grave impacts. And I think that can, that can be said for painting and in life. A lot of times artists kind of go through the motions and they kind of do something and they're kind of like, uh, whatever. And they don't, they don't take accountability for it. They don't go, Oh, that's wrong. I need to fix it. And so then those things, though, they're very, very small mistakes throughout your painting and throughout your drawing and throughout your modeling, they add up over time and it can cause a bigger mistake down the line. And so I would say accountability to take accountability for your work. Like if something is wrong, you need to own up to it and fix it. And that's one thing that I've always had to do. And it's, it's hard to be accountable for your work, to be like, you know what, this is a bad drawing or this is not my best. I need to do it again. And a lot of artists don't want to do that, especially younger artists, because it's, it's definitely like an ego. You have to put your ego aside. But being being accountable for every brushwork that you make and for every design choice that you make will make you a better artist. And again, you never know the dire consequences that that can have down the pipeline that your mess up can, can affect somebody else um, else's possible job, their livelihood. So I always say just take accountability and that goes for life too. any decision that you think that can be very just like mundane and not important. You never know the ripple that it, that it, that it creates. So any decision that I try to make, I try to make sure that I think about it and I take my time and I try to make sure that I, I understand that whatever I do, however dumb or lame that I think that is, whenever like, you know, an art or a director would ask me to do something like, hey, can you do this? I wouldn't think, oh, I'm too good for this or like, no, I shouldn't have to do that. That's dumb. It's like, no, I don't know. Solving this task may actually be really beneficial for someone down the line. So I need to do it. So take accountability and check your ego at the door. Um, and then the last thing I would say is just uh, raise while you climb. It's a very common saying. So that just means that as you're climbing this ladder of success or, you know, getting the job, help people below you. Um, I've been I've been helping people get jobs and get gigs since the past like eight years of my life. And eight years ago, I was a nobody. So even though I was a nobody, I was still helping people no matter no matter where I could go. And I still help people to this day. Um, and so as I'm climbing the ladder of success and as I'm getting better gigs or getting better projects, I will always make sure that I, I can help someone that is going through it that maybe needs help. I will always do my best to say, hey, if this person is ready for it, like I helped one of my friends get a job at Riot because I was like, someone asked me like, hey, can you do this job? I was like, no, I can't. But here's this guy that I think would be a really good fit for you guys. Here's his contact. And now he's like working for them and he's doing a great job. And it's like, oh, thank you. And you didn't have to do that. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't have to, but it's it's good. And you know, like you're a good person. I can I've, I've known you for a while. I think this is a good opportunity. And it can and that can that can be like that for anybody. So um, being nice to everyone is always a good thing because um, when someone doesn't when someone needs someone for a job, are you the first person that comes in their mind? And hopefully so. If you're a nice person, if you're not, then they're gonna be like, nah, f that guy. So yeah. So being accountable and raising while you climb, and uh, don't be stingy with your information. It takes a village to, to get where you are in life. Um, I'm very lucky. Um, I'm far from perfect. I'm very lucky. But anyone that looks at any level of success will tell you that doors were opened for me that were not open for other people. But I had to be able to walk through them. So I had to take the choice to walk through those doors. But I'd be, I'd be lying to you if I said that I got here completely on my own because that wasn't the case. A lot of doors and a lot of opportunities were awarded to me that weren't awarded to others. So I, I owe it to the community to try to open some of those doors 
to someone else that may not have opportunities. Um, so I'm far from perfect and it takes a village. Um, I'm a accumulation, accumulation of like all the other artists that have helped me from Edgar to, to AJ to, um, to Dan McGowan to Josh and them. All the arts have influenced me to make me the artist I am today. It takes a village to kind of like do this. So if you're trying to do it on your own, it's going to take a while. So invest in your community. Your community will invest in you. Um, we're kind of all in this together. So um, don't try to do it on your own. I mean, you can, but um, it's, I, I realized there are so many times where I could have easily failed if I didn't have those friends that were there to kind of help me out when I needed it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, though, it all kind of relies on you and the hard work you put in. But it's okay to have those friends help you out when needed. And that's the last thing. All right. Um, thank, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people contact you if they had any questions? Is your Instagram okay? Um, yeah, the Instagram is fine. Twitter. Instagram and Twitter is usually where I'm at. Mm-hmm. So you'll see me posting random <laughs> football videos and things that are not in my Call of Duty videos, things that are totally not on related. So um, I apologize. Uh, but yeah, that's where you can find me if you ever need to hit me up. All right. I- Awesome. Uh, thank you to anyone who tuned in and listened or watched this episode. Uh, I, ho- I hope you are having a fantastic day. And if there's any critiques or comments or suggestions, just leave them out in the comment section with our cast box, YouTube or Instagram. You can just DM it to me on my career podcast Instagram page. That is always fun. I'll read them all. And again, thank you so much for coming by. And thank you to anyone who tuned in. Take care, everyone. Till next episode. Bye. Thanks.